Would you like to be able to start conversations like a pro? Take The Sunday World, your daily dose of what's going on. Do not consume The Sunday World if you're involved in a drug cartel, you're a politician with something to hide, or you've appeared on a reality TV show and care about others' opinions. Consume The Sunday World responsibly. Always read the stories, gossip and commentary. You can't beat the sound of a contented cat. That's why veterinary surgeon and natural pet food pioneer John Burns developed Burns Pet Nutrition. Because he knows the positive impact a natural diet has on our beloved pets. And our premium cat food is designed to satisfy even the most finicky eaters. For natural, no nasty, wholesome recipes, choose Burns Pet Nutrition. Available from veterinary clinics and all good pet shops across Ireland. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. But initially, the reports were fairly serious. He said, I was in Beaumont Hospital, which is never a good sign. They specialise in head injuries and he remains there in a serious but stable condition. And he remains in a coma, as far as I understand. And Mike told me, I was speaking to him last weekend, that there are serious concerns about the long-term impact on his eye and the possibility that he could lose kind of vision that eye. I'm Nicola Talent, and you're listening to Crime World, a podcast about criminals, drugs and the sins of the underworld in Ireland and across the globe. It was the attack that led the US government to warn tourists to keep a low profile in Dublin city centre. Last week, New York native Stephen Termini was left with possible life-changing injuries after an attack on Dublin's Talbot Street. The shocking assault sparked a wave of calls to get more guardy on the beat and to stamp down on random violence. But has our capital city really become a lawless hellscape and will more Garda resources solve all the problems? I'm Niall Donald, and today I'm talking with Irish independent crime reporter Robin Schiller about Dublin's mean streets. This is Crime World, a podcast from sundayworld.com. So Robin, it's an unusual thing, um, but we get a warning this week from the home of uh, drive-by shootings and school slayings uh, when the US US citizens were warned by their own government to to be war to be aware of their personal safety in Dublin and they're told um you know do not travel in in unfamiliar places and and, and watch to, warn to keep a low profile um obviously you know it's a bit unusual the US government giving that but there there is a context obviously with the attack on the US tourist this week um you, which it really has, uh, I think, shocked people in general. It has the kind of violence involved in that attack on Wednesday of last week, and as you mentioned, there it is a, it is a bit of a sad state of affairs when the U.S. government has given out uh, safety advice to your own state for their own citizens traveling there to be careful. But yeah, I think the uh, violence in Dublin is not new. It's something we've kind of unfortunately come accustomed to in the last few weeks and months. With these kind of really vicious attacks involving gangs of youths, but. I think the fact that it was a US tourist attack last week, that he was, you know, he came over here to socialise, Stephen Termini, a 57-year-old man, came over here to socialise, to visit Ireland, to visit Heritage, and 
that he was subjected to such a violent attack. It was caught in video, which amplifies a bit more the fact that it happened near O'Connell Street, uh, kind of one of the busiest streets in the, the capital, and the fact that it happened just yards from Storcia Garda Station as well. I think all these kind of matters amplify it that bit more. It absolutely does. And, you know, he looks like, obviously, the pictures of him, you know, he looks he looks like a, a nice guy and, you know, people can understand his mother's buried over here and it, all of those things uh, kind of tug at people's heartstrings, I suppose. You, you've obviously had a good lot of conversations with his son, um, Mike, you know they're they're obviously um, still really concerned about his uh, the long term impact of his of his health. Is there many updates on that? Uh, there has been the last couple of days, but initially the reports were fairly serious. He's still obviously in Beaumont Hospital, which is never a good sign. They specialise in head injuries, and he remains there in a serious but stable condition. And he remains in a coma, as far as I understand. And Mike told me, I was speaking to him last weekend, that there are serious concerns about the long-term impact on his eye and the possibility that he could lose some kind of vision in that eye. And also the long-term impact on any potential brain injuries. Obviously, he received a number of kicks to the head. He was punched in the head. And he remains in a serious condition at the moment. So those kind of long-term uh, impact injuries are certainly concerned to his sons and his wider family. And like his son, obviously you're you're talking to him. Like how how was how was his feelings towards the the country and towards the reaction to him? There's obviously been a, a huge outpouring of support as well from from Ireland, and you know their their GoFundMe has been, you know, really people have really given generously to that. Has he? What is what is what is his feelings towards the country now? Well, they're kind of they're mixed reactions. I think the initial one was one of shock. Um, he got a phone call on the Thursday. It happened obviously on Wednesday night, and on Thursday got a phone call saying, you know, your dad's being attacked, and he was expecting to say, oh, but he's all right. But that obviously wasn't the case. So that kind of took him back a bit. Um, obviously, a lot of Americans, and I think Mike Rizzuto and Stephen Termini had that kind of view as well. That you know, it's a nice country over here. Nothing, nothing like this would pop- possibly ever happen. And unfortunately, that's just not the case. So I think it was an issue on a shock. Um, and then that GoFundMe was set up on Friday and initially it was a bit slow moving, but I think Mike was saying he went to bed on the Friday night, woke up Saturday and there's about twenty, thirty thousand dollars $30,000 in it. And he was taken aback by that as well, the kind of outpouring support, not just from his own friends and communities in America and New York where they're from, but also the amount of Irish people who were appalled by what happened and wanted to help the family in any way. And I think as recently as kind of Wednesday or Thursday this week, there's about $100,000 in that account and it helped them travel over here on And they've, they've landed here now, haven't they? They're, 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 they're in the country now. Yeah, they landed on Thursday morning, so they got a flight overnight. And I think the last update from Mike has been that he's in hospital. Him and his brother, Jesse, are in Beaumont Hospital visiting their father. And you know, one thing he said to me in issue when I spoke to him last week was that he wants to be there when his father wakes up. So that looks like it can be the case now, thankfully for him. Now, obviously, the, the Garda investigation has has progressed. That there's been uh, three arrests at this stage. A couple of pe- couple of juveniles have come before the court. Have been brought before the courts. I'm not going to go into too much of the background there, um, but it has. Uh, they have made made progress. I think it's fair to say in the investigation. Definitely, I think the initial information I'd say the same was that three youths were centrally involved in this. There might have been a larger gang there, but three responsible in some way for inflicting those injuries. One was identified fairly straight away and he was arrested last weekend and brought before the courts um, without the media being notified, I think I have to add. Yeah. Now, it's normal that we get some kind of notice, a heads up that there will be a court appearance, especially for such a major case like this. That didn't happen and we we only found out on Sunday afternoon from a press release that he had appeared in court and was bailed to a different day. Then on Wednesday of this week, two other youths were arrested, a 14-year-old and 6-year-old. Now, one of them has since appeared in court Charged with Section 3 assault and that other youth remains in guard custody. So, um, 
like we obviously work here, Robin. Like I don't know how how long are you working in what was independent news and media? Are you there? Are you here? It's a long time now. It's, I think we're coming up in ten years. Nine but that's years. that's not long compared with some of us, Robin. <laughs> that way, right? So, like you know, we're obviously in here. I mean, I'm in here more or less every day. You're in here three days a week or whatever. Like you know, Talbot Street. You go out. You know, get your lunch or whatever. Like, is it Gotham City we're in? I, I don't think it's that. Like, it is bad and serious stuff happens, but it's yeah. it's always been not the greatest street, mm. let's say. You know, there's obviously good businesses here. There's good shops. There's nice pubs. Um, it's not like you go out and you're kind of looking around in case you get clattered on a, a Wednesday afternoon getting your lunch. And yeah. plenty of The street's always busy in the afternoon as well. People going around doing their bits. But I think even in the last few years, it has gone worse, especially at night time. Well, I tell you, it got worse during the lockdown, right? Now, the other thing is, like, like as you said, you go for your lunch. Like, I don't, I go for my lunch every day. I don't feel like I'm going to be killed. It's not like, so it's, there's there's a bit of a, you're on Twitter as I'm on Twitter, and you see this kind of debate. There's two sides. One is that we're living in this, the end of days, apocalyptic uh, yeah. Dublin city centre. It's collapsing into sort of Mad Max beyond Thunderdome. And the other thing is, oh, it's all just hyped up and there's, you know, people are just, there's, Ireland's one of the safest countries in the world. And, you know, obviously you got a bit of that from, from, from the government initially, they seem to come out and say, you know, they did come out and say, you know, Dublin's a safe city at night. And now they seem to be rolling back and saying, oh no, it is a bit dangerous after maybe a negative reaction. The truth is probably somewhere in the middle, I think, you know, because we're, we're sort of locals in the sense of working mm. here like but there is deep problems in Talbot Street in that sort of area I think it's fair to say yeah there's kind of a balance to all these things and like you said there in the middle of the, is the truth normally and you know you walk down the street at one o'clock in the day you're not going to feel too threatened but also at night time and you know the poor tourists who kind of come to Talbot Street they might get a train to Connolly Station or they might get off a bus and want to wander up you see it a lot kind of tourists walk along with their suitcases fresh off the plane walking up Talbot Street and you do kind of say to yourself, well, did I know what they're getting themselves into? Now, it's not like they're going to be attacked, but it's not maybe this kind of picturesque experience they expected of Ireland. No, it's not Dublin's fair city in, in reality. And I mean, I think there's two there's two sort of separate, maybe linked things. I mean, first, there's the sort of the open uh, drug use and the addiction problems that you see on Talbot Street, um, which is one side of it. The other side of it is it seems to be a congregation of maybe teenagers that are not, they're not necessarily the same group. I mean, I think the thing, the, the, the drug addiction aspect to it, like it's not really dangerous. It is quite sad though to mm. see, and this is not to stigmatize people or say, you know, these people should be locked up and kept away from public sight or anything like that. But there is, you can see the vic, maybe the victims of addiction, people that are unwell on this street. And, you know, it's not great that they're, not getting access to services, maybe. Yeah, I think people, like the, it doesn't feed into the whole kind of violence of it. Like I said, there are two different groups. I know some people mightn't want to look at it and say that feeds in, but that's the reality of Dublin at the moment. You know, you've a lot of people with serious addiction issues who've fallen on extremely hard times who just aren't getting the help they should be, and they're left in the street, and Talbot Street seems to be one of those places where they congregate, and that's, like, you wouldn't feel in fear walking by them. You'd no, absolutely not. I mean, these people are going to ask you for, you know, maybe ask you for a few quid or whatever. Like, they're never, I've never been threatened in 15 years or whatever working here. I've never been threatened uh, 
by any of the people who are who have where you can see they're visibly suffering with from addiction. Yeah. Now, like nobody wants to see people uh, taking drugs openly. You know, you will see some of that around tapestry. It's not, you know, it's not good for anybody. But it's not. Um, it's not the same as a violent of that violence and that violence, of course is going on as well around the city centre. Like I think in, in the piece you wrote this week, you wrote about it, a few incidents, you know, just for example, like the Ukrainian uh, man who was mm. attacked and, you know, other incidents in the city just in this week, like there have been a few in this week alone. Um, wasn't there one in, in uh, like the, the, the Ukrainian assault was quite a vicious one. Yeah, Alexander Hikov, he was, um, he's obviously a Ukrainian man. He's an actor, he's over the Abbey Theatre for a performance, he went outside and he was attacked by a gang of youths and he was left in a serious condition in the hospital. And again, that's one that really got kind of headlines, the fact that he's a foreign national over here, you know, just performing, got attacked. And so much so that when the Taoiseach Leo Radka went over to Kiev in that, you know, kind of secret trip, he met uh, Alexander and apologised to him. And that's just one of several incidents, you know, there's a lot of them don't get as much traction as others. Um, you have a lot of them you kind of get off social media where I think there was one last month in Tablet Street where four youths set on one man and he ended up knocking two of them out and they're kind of KO'd on the floor. There was another stabbing a few months ago on the corner of Tablet Street and Marlborough Street, I think it is. One lad was seriously uh, injured and hospitalised and there's another one in December where one person was knocked out unconscious and you know, put into bombed hospital. So it is happening a lot. It's happening too much. And as I said, it's different to that issue of drugs where it's more of a more of a health crisis, to be honest, and people in that really bad predicament. Whereas, you know, on the other hand, you have gangs of youths effectively going around and kicking the head off people. Yeah, I mean, there's th like, it is, like they are different. And I mean, like to some extent, the city centre suffers because, um, you know, the, the there's been a huge, any time, there's there's methadone clinics, there's addiction treatment centres in certain parts in Dublin city centre. You can see them in, in Merchants Quay and Pierce Street and around here in Amien Street. Um, and that, you know, any time that people have tried to build these services in suburbia, really, the low, they haven't been allowed, largely through politicians complaining about mm -hmm. it. So you get a funneling of people in with, with addiction problems into the, into the city centre. Um, and that's because people want it out of their sight and, you know, leave it in the city centre. I mean, the complicated problem, of course, of, of gangs of, of teenagers acting in that way, you know, we've heard huge um, cries for more Gardaí on the beat this week. Yeah. You know, we had Helen McEntee floating along in, I don't know if that was a successful photo op, I'd argue it probably wasn't. It didn't work out too great, I'd say, in the grand scheme of things. Mm, no. no, I don't think so. Um, so, but this, so you get this, this call, more Gardaí on the beach. Um, and, you know, it is true that maybe there isn't a, a lot of visible Gardaí sometimes in the city centre. But you see then the difficulty in achieving that. Um, because this week, just in the aftermath of that, you have the Gardaí, um, well, they're they're basically, uh, the frontline Gardaí are going to be balanced by the, the GRA. What What is the issue there? Um, well, there's a number of issues and that, that decision was made on Wednesday at the, I suppose, the Gardaí Representative Association's Central Executive Committee. And initially they wanted to hold a, a vote at a special delegate conference in a vote of no confidence in Drew Harris. It was decided then that they'll actually ballot the entire membership about that. And I don't think that's happened before where, the entire, uh, entire representative body, um, I think they're made up of around 12,000 people, will be ball balloted if they have confidence, not in the Garda Commissioner. 
And there's an array of issues there. I think the main one, or the one that's been spoken about prominently, is rosters. Yeah. But it goes beyond that, I think, as well. And I think said in the press release this week, it's recruitment, it's welfare, it's there's so many other issues in the guards at the moment that certainly the guardy, the rank and file, and probably sergeants and inspectors feel aren't being dealt with properly. And no, because no, I mean, this is now. this is what people are calling for. You want more guardy on the beat in order to get them on the beat. It has to be like they're struggling to re- recruit them for a start. Then there's, they're, you know, according to the GRA in particular, they're struggling to retain the members. So people become guards, but they leave, you know, used to be a job for life and, you know, people would stay till retirement. But they, they believe, and sometimes there's a dispute about this, but they say people are leaving more and more. They're not sticking with the job. So it's all very well to call for guard, more guardy on the beat um, and even to assign money to it. But at least according to, to the frontline guardy, um, they're not making their job workable. I mean, what is the situation with the, the roster? It's a 6-4, is that what they, they call it? Or? Yeah, so it, basically at the start of the COVID pandemic, Drew Harris brought in this new emergency roster um, to, I suppose, utilise numbers better. And you had four shifts of 12 hours, yeah. and then they four days off. It's kind of fairly yeah. simple and straightforward roster. He wants to go back to a kind of pre-pandemic roster now where you have uh, guards working six shifts of 10 hours with four days off. And the GRA certainly feel that it's just not workable. It's, you know, it'll affect work-life balance. It'll affect the actual numbers on the streets. Well, they're saying that's the kind of main so that's, tension. that's six days in a row, is it? That, they, that they're six days in a row and then four so, days off? In a yeah, row. and that's for, I suppose, the regular guard units and some other kind of, um, I suppose, non-specialist units, but other core units where you'd be working six days. And then even for kind of national detective units, you might have a situation where they're working eight-hour shifts over seven days. Yeah. And they'd certainly say that's not feasible at all. You know, all the work they have to do, get it done in eight hours, it's just not going to be possible. And they're going to be doing, the overtime will be off the charts, basically, is kind of the feeling about that. And then, of course, there is this this uh, constant feeling, if you talk to sort of maybe the frontline guardie about how the job has changed in terms of the paperwork in particular, that, they, that a lot of them can feel is become huge part of the job. Is that fair to say, I think? Yeah, I think the, the general consensus would be, you know, people have been in the last 15 years that, or 20 years even when they started off, you'd be allowed to do your job, you do it properly. Now, obviously, there's always been paperwork. It's not a new thing, but I think the amount of red tape now surrounding certain stuff and bureaucracy is just, you have people in stations filling out forms and filling out paperwork more than you have them out in the street. And that's also not going to affect, you know, it's, it's all well and good and it's right to call for more guards, but... If you're not managing the guards you have there properly, if you have them chained to desks, filling out paperwork, then you're not going to see them on the street. So that's, it's up to guard management in that way as well, I suppose, to adequately deal with that and make sure that guards are out in the, the street. It's not the rank and file guard who decides what they're doing on a daily basis. You know, they're directed to places by guard and management. And so those resources have to be dealt with effectively. They do. And of course, like, if so if you look at Talbot Street, this area, uh, obviously, um, you know, like if you walk out any day, there's, for example, you can if you if you were so inclined, you could nearly get stoned off walking down the street off the yeah. smell. For example, right mm. now, do I personally think it's a good idea to arrest everybody smoking a joint on Talbot Street? I, I'm not sure that I do. Um, if you walk out there, you know, there's there's obviously bits of shoplifting and you know people maybe drinking openly, for example. But like, are all those problems going to be solved by the addition of an extra thousand guardie on the beat, for example? I think it was it Leo was, Veraker was saying um, that, you know, that was the target of recruiting an extra 
housing guardy. Like, is there a policing solution to the problem on Talbot Street or does it go deeper and do we need to think differently, I suppose? That goes far deeper. I think even as you said there, you know, people going around smoking a joint, right? Some people might agree with it, but is locking up every single person who's going around smoking a spliff? The answer is definitely not. And I think the problem has been for years that guardies seem to be always be landed with stuff. Any issues like that where you see somebody smoking a joint where... You know, you have a person injecting who's gone through a horrendous, their own horrendous issues and addiction problems. Gardaí seem to be the answer and, oh, you know, lock them up or let them deal with it. But Gardaí can't do everything and they certainly shouldn't have to do everything. And it goes to health services, mental health services, youth services, all these other kind of agencies and government funded agencies where they are getting funding in fairness or a lot of them are getting funding, but that funding mightn't be used properly. So I think it goes far deeper than just saying, get more guardian on the street and this will all stop happening. You know, it has to be a, a roundtable discussion of loads of different services to actually get a proper solution. Well, 100%. I mean, like, you know, like the, 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 the guards can't make somebody not be in active addiction. I mean, that's that's the basic the basic level of it. Um, and, you know, the like the, the idea of um, zero tolerance, wasn't it, that was in... New York, you know, yeah. like, I mean, there's a lot of calls for that, but, you know, that's not going to solve the core of the problem, I don't think. And even with the teenagers as well, like. Yeah, it's not going to like zero tolerance and somebody, you know, smoking a joint or in personal possession of cannabis. It's not going to stop the likes of Stephen Termini coming over here and getting kicked and punched in the head, you know, but there are a range of different issues and I was looking at a case there, a court case before we came in today, so I've jotted down here, but there was a, a guy in his 20s, um, he was up in court five of the circuit court in Dublin today, Yeah, and he pleaded guilty to assault, section three assault, attempted robbery and violent disorder all within three weeks in Dublin city centre, Yeah, 97 previous convictions and he got a two year suspended sentence today. Yeah. And you have to say, like, at some stage, while you don't want to say, oh, lock them up, but if somebody has that many convictions before the courts, they're pleading guilty to these kind of crimes and they're walking out the front door. Yeah. That's an issue as well, you know. It is. It's a huge issue. And, I mean, it's so, it, it seems even from somebody like yourself or myself who, who are in and out of courts and, and obviously sort of generally working in this area, it seems really erratic, doesn't it? Like some of the sentencing, you know. Um, you know, obviously we had... Uh, a guy last week who brought his dead uncle into a post office, which nobody's saying that's okay, but he gets two and a half years and then you see some violent crimes in Dublin. Like, you know, it does seem erratic at times, does it not, the sentencing in this country? Yeah, it's inconsistent. You know, there are guidelines, but they're obviously not effective enough. And like you said there, when you have a guy getting two years for a deception yeah. and another guy attacking somebody getting two years and there are different crimes, there's different backgrounds, there's always going to be different mitigation and... yeah. Aggravating factors may vary, but it's just some sentence that are given out you might see are too harsh for certain crimes. And then for other, other I suppose, more violent crimes like this one, you have somebody walking off scot-free. So how the question always is, how do you fix it? I actually don't know. Do you, you know, restructure sentencing guidelines? Do you get somebody to have a word with judges? I, I actually don't know the answer to it, but something there needs to yeah, change. Yeah, I mean, look, there probably is, in, to some extent, no answer, but... Um, you know, or no simple answer, you know, this this is what always happens with, um, you know, this, this is the way it works. Something happens and it generates a load of media be- because of the unique circumstances of a case. Yeah. People pile in then with simple answers. You need this, you need that. And of course, it's always more complex than that. Um, mm. We do live in a, in a city that is, you know, quite safe, but it's just 
still those random acts of violence. I mean, even another one that you you were writing about this week about um, a taxi driver, I think a man in his 60s, mm. and he's being uh, hijacked by two young women, which is probably makes it a story like that stand out. I yeah. mean, these are terrifying things that occur. Yeah, it's the reality of it as well. Like, look, it's not the most dangerous city in Europe, but I think crime, certainly assaults and that have gone up even anecdotally and I think the statistics back it up but that incident in the Phoenix Park you know I have a taxi man driving around at 20 past 6 in the morning just going about his normal job and he's attacked and beaten up by these two women who steal his car um, and left in hospital he was brought to James Connolly Hospital in Blanchestown with injuries and thankfully I suppose those two people have been arrested yeah. they were driving around in the car all day and I think an off-duty guard came across them and they were arrested um, which shows the kind of strangeness of the crime that yeah. we're not dealing with criminal masterminds here they kind of took the car drove around all day and then were finally arrested but it's just another example of kind of serious incidents where you have a man hospitalised yeah. about his day to day work you know Okay. Well, look, it'll be it'll be back. We'll be back to these issues, no doubt. And and Talbot Street will continue to go for a lunch and not feel too threatened. But you know, you'll still every day, every week that you're in this area, you see something that is mind blowing. Nearly like you know, just in terms of that sort of sense of chaos. But. We're not, yeah, it's not Gotham City just yet, I don't think either. No, but you could definitely write a book, the, the stuff, the bizarre tales of Table Street. You're really good, like, yeah. I mean, you're really good. Like, it is it is chaotic and it's it's not great, you know, because there are people suffering in the middle of it um, mm. and people suffering from terrible problems with addiction as well, you know. So, thanks very much, Robin. Thanks for having me on my uh, annual appearance. Your annual appearance could be even more regularly, you know. Good to hear. Thanks. You've been listening to Crime World, a podcast from sundayworld.com. Produced by Ian Mullaney and edited by me, Nicola Talent. Research assistant is Clodamini. If you like this show and love true crime, leave us a review. Or why not download the free sundayworld.com app for lots more stories from Ireland and across the globe. Would you like to be able to start conversations like a pro? Take The Sunday World, your daily dose of what's going on. Do not consume The Sunday World if you're involved in a drug cartel, you're a politician with something to hide, or you've appeared on a reality TV show and care about others' opinions. Consume The Sunday World responsibly. Always read the stories, gossip, and commentary.